Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Johannesburg is Dr. Melinda Sushard, who is the head of the Center for Vaccines and Immunology in the National Institute for Communicable Disease. She also holds a joint appointment as lecturer in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. In addition, she is a ministerially appointed member of the National Advisory Group on Immunization, the National Polio Expert Committee, and is the president of the South African Immunology Society. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to talk to you and your listeners. Dr. Sushad, on an almost daily basis, I see references to the National Institute for Communicable Diseases in relation to its monitoring of COVID-19, whether it is infection rates, uh, the number of recoveries, to the number of vaccinations, and I believe uh, to date that there have been over 7.5 million vaccines that have been administered in the country. To start with, please, can you tell us more about the Centre for Vaccines and Immunology? The Centre for Vaccines and Immunology is one of seven centres at the NICD, and our job is um, to support the national and provincial departments of health Um, through laboratory-based diagnostics and um, research and surveillance around vaccine-preventable diseases. Uh, Much of the work we do is around routine um, surveillance for measles and polio uh, and other conditions uh, such as uh, tetanus and uh, rubella and hepatitis. And in terms of the work that you do specifically for for your centre... So our centre is supporting the Global Polio Eradication Initiative. Uh, We are one of the only polio testing laboratories that can sequence um, wild polio virus. Uh, We are one of the few countries in the world with capacity to work with polio viruses under high containment as the world approaches polio eradication. Um, And we um, we are supporting the draft both for global polio eradication and on a national basis towards measles elimination. So these are diseases that are less common, um, that for which we have had vaccines for many decades, and for which vaccine programs have been so successful uh, that the diseases are, um, you know, are nearing elimination or eradication. Elimination meaning uh, when they will no longer be around in a particular country, and eradication meaning when they would no longer be around in the entire world. Those are incredible advancements and really speak to the advocacy of having appropriate vaccine programs in place. Yes, vaccines are the most powerful tool we have to fight infectious diseases, um, as evidenced by the success against smallpox. Um, Smallpox is not something that most people think about very often, uh, but in our parents' day, it was um, the pandemic that they they feared the most. For them, uh, the smallpox pandemics were... um, were much scarier, in fact, than the COVID pandemic. Um, smallpox is a disease that killed a third of people infected um, and, and often killed multiple members of the same household, uh, often left survivors scarred or even blind. So, uh, you know, COVID, as scary as it is, pales in comparison to, to a disease like smallpox. 
and the success um, of the world in combating smallpox um, is really hope for us uh, that, that we can bring COVID under control and one day perhaps even move towards COVID elimination in our country. Having these objectives of eradication and elimination of disease are really critical functions with a massive impact, not only for our country, but for the entire world. What would you say is your greatest challenge in the day-to-day work that you do? There are, I suppose, very many um, administrative challenges which are the bread and butter of any uh, job, I would say. Um, You know, great achievements come after very many uh, years of persistent hard work and really doing the, the same thing persistently for many years until rewards pay off. So I would say that the, you know, the challenges are around not letting daily hurdles and, um, you know, fighting against small obstacles on a, on a daily basis interfere with the, the bigger goals and the bigger picture. Um, to always remember that, um, you know, the, the aims and objectives of, of why one is working in one's um, particular role and um, the great advances that can be made. And I would imagine with the work that you do, there must be significant collaborations and research projects that take place with uh, various counterparts, not just across the continent, but indeed across the globe. Please, can you tell us about some of the more significant ones that have been undertaken? So, In our role as a regional reference laboratory, we work closely with the World Health Organization and with other laboratories in other African countries. So that has been a very rewarding uh, collaboration. And um, locally in South Africa, we have collaborations with academic centers. Uh, We have been involved in uh, establishing a master's course at the University of Atlantisrand in vaccinology. Uh, We we established that course actually in 2019, uh, just before um, COVID. So that's been very timeless and a very um, fruitful collaboration. And we're really excited to see that um, training course take off. You wear a number of different hats. In the introduction, I mentioned that you are a ministerially appointed member of the National Advisory Group on Immunization, that you serve on the National Polio Expert Committee, and are the president of the South African Immunology Society. These are all impressive, significant organizations that have a far-reaching impact. Do you find that taking part and in some cases leading important associations like these come with the terrain of your career or is it something that's evolved over time and is is now part of your DNA? I think it's something that evolves over time and that really happens naturally um, as one progresses or as I've progressed through my career and um, followed my, my passions, I suppose. Uh, my great interest is in uh, immunology and my, my work with the South African Immunology Society has been uh, particularly rewarding. Um, and the, there's been a, a natural evolution over time um, as I've become more involved with that society uh, as to um, sort of identifying one's, one's role and um, the benefit one can bring um, to, to the society. And are there any particular achievements that you'd like to highlight on one or all of those societies? Um, From the point of view of the South African Immunology Society, 
uh, we aim to bring together researchers who are interested in immunology um, from various backgrounds, um, from the clinical backgrounds, from the science backgrounds, um, people interested in allergy, in transplant, in autoimmunity, in infectious diseases. And really the idea is that we have so much to learn from each other and that people um, are limited by working in silos. And uh, one field is only strengthened by being um, aware and uh, up to date with advances in other fields. And uh, we've hosted some really excellent cross-cutting conferences. And for me, it's um, been a very fruitful exercise, just being able to um, broaden my own horizons and hopefully broaden horizons of others um, who may not have been um, fortunate to, to um, be trained in very many of those different um, disciplines. So I think, you know, breadth, um, breadth for me of, um, and scope has, has been very important, uh, more so than depth in a particular discipline or in a particular field. I would say that, um, you know, being a, a jack of all trades is, is really and can be played to, to be a strength in life um, rather than um, focusing quite narrowly on one's own um, area of expertise. From that perspective, I would encourage others to become involved in, you know, uh, societies and groups and uh, pursue, um, pursue their interests, even if they are not perhaps identical to the field they're working in or their um, sort of day job um, for which they get paid. It certainly brings a different dynamic and I think is a, is a strengthening factor when you go out of your immediate let's say, zone of expertise or, or niche area. Yes, absolutely. I think um, too many people are, are focused on only one niche area um, and they become quite uh, confident in that area, um, but somehow become very um, insecure as soon as, um, as soon as someone points out, you know, um, potentially conflicting ideas that uh, arise from a different area. So I certainly think it's uh, good in life to be well-rounded, as, as, as far well-rounded as um, possible, and to seek out um, training and um, collaborators in uh, really different disciplines and diverse fields. Hi, I'm Zonke Digana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter, and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to Dr. Melinda Souchard, who is the head of the Center for Vaccines and Immunology in the National Institute for Communicable Disease and lectures in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Dr. Souchard, our program, Womanity, Woman and Unity, is all about gender equality and I'm glad and happy to say that it is increasingly a global focus. And part of this development is building female leadership capacity, which is important for the future of women, not just in our country, but around the world. You occupy several leadership roles. Given your experiences, how do you see female leadership, whether it's in the private sector, public sector, or any other field for that matter? I think it's important um, for potential female leaders um, to feel that they, they, are, they are naturals and that they should be encouraged to take up leadership roles that they feel themselves being naturally drawn to. In other words, um, there are different leadership styles 
and each leader has their own unique style. And it's not necessary for a female leader to um, follow the mold of any previous leader who has held um, that position or similar positions or to, to copy or emulate someone that they, they see as a leader. Really, it's important for each leader to find their own way and find their own path and be true to themselves. Um, for many um, introverts, I think it's helpful to know that introverts can be leaders. Um, they don't need to uh, have an extroverted persona in order to be a leader. Uh, they need to really just um, be positive. Being positive is a really important characteristic of a leader. And they need to care about those who are following them. Uh, if no one is following you, you are not leading. So I would say it's important to um, be confident in oneself, not to try to, to copy anyone else, and um, to, to gain confidence and support from those below you, uh, um, just as much or perhaps is even more important than gaining um, support and confidence of those above you. One of the things that you've just spoken about, and I think is absolutely critical, but something we don't hear very often, is caring about your followers. Because as you say, if you don't have followers, you're not leading anybody. Yes, I think what I often hear from um, women um, uh, or, or um, young women in, um, who are aspiring to leadership positions is around the lack of mentors and around seeking a mentor. And I think the message is that um, not, to be, not to worry if they don't have a mentor that sometimes it's okay to find your own place and your own role and to do it independently. And sometimes not having someone um, above you who is guiding you or leading you, although you think of it as a deficiency at the time, can turn out to be an advantage. Um, nature hates a vacuum, as they say. And often um, there is a vacuum in a particular field and therefore there is no one to mentor you in that area or in that field. Um, what I want to say to, to young women is they should pursue that field regardless. Um, even though it may be lonely, they are stepping into what is a leadership role because they will be able to mentor those who come after them. Um, it is that very absence of mentorship that means that one is in the front seat of that um, vacuum and, and, and is driving that particular program. So I, I just want to sort of give a, a, a vote of confidence to women who feel alone um, this idea of uh, it's lonely at the top is an important one. Often uh, women who start to occupy leadership roles suddenly feel very lonely and wonder um, if, if they belong there and if they're doing the right thing because they suddenly feel, um, you know, that they have no one to talk to, no one that understands their issues or their problems or can guide them. And um, just to reiterate that that is a normal part of the process and I think it's um, concurrent with any leadership role uh, is that... Unfortunately, if you are the leader, there is no one to, to lead you. Um, you just need to have confidence that um, you will find your own way and that that is um, normal and correct uh, and not always to be seeking um, mentorship that may or may not come. On that point, because as you say, if you are pioneering a field, if you are, are leading an entity, you don't have anyone who's who's gone before you or, or walked that particular road. But what are your views about networking opportunities and almost being able to, in a similar fashion as you mentioned earlier, of being able to cross-collaborate and go out of your niche area? Do you think that 
being in a, an environment where you've got opportunities to network in uh, across sectors with leaders from different entities, that that helps advance or, or provide reassurance. Yes, certainly. I think um, one must always take opportunities offered. Uh, in other words, leaders need to learn to say no at certain points in time. In other words, um, to protect their time and not to take on roles and responsibilities that detract from their goals and objectives. But uh, leaders also need to learn to say yes, which is if an opportunity that um, a person really wants and knows that they want is offered to them on a silver platter, not to say no. And um, although that sounds obvious, I think women often fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I have so much on my plate, and now um, someone is offering me an opportunity to you know, network in a particular way or be on a particular uh, you know, committee or body, uh, which is almost an optional extra. Um, will I have time? Perhaps I should say no, because I won't have time. And you know, that, uh, that is a self-defeating kind of perspective. If, if uh, an opportunity offered is in the correct direction um, and aligns with one's goals, then um, one needs to have the confidence to say yes and take up uh, good opportunities, uh, regardless of, um, you know, that little voice in someone's head that says, you'll never manage, you'll never cope, um, you know, you're not good enough. Uh, it's really to downplay all the nagging um, small voices and to, um, to step up, to be brave and uh, to do justice to one's own, um, one's own uh, desires and directions uh, of where one wants to go in life. And how do you think we can encourage women to assume more decision-making roles? Because often we find that there is a deficit of women at the top. I think women um, often need a little bit more encouragement um, than perhaps is otherwise the case. And sometimes um, women don't speak up. So in, for, for men who are in leadership positions and who are mentoring um, you know, a group of individuals under them. It's sometimes to say, um, you know, ask directly what the women members of the team think. Um, for example, at the end of a meeting, ask for individuals' opinions rather than um, waiting for the, you know, just letting the loudest people talk the most um, or inviting women to chair certain sessions rather than asking or expecting volunteers. Um, so it's around not, um, not letting the dominant voices be sort of overshadow of voices that may be quieter, uh, but whose opinions may be um, equally valuable. And um, women, women need to be encouraged to um, partake fully and not um, step back. So just because they are sort of worried about potential future career, uh, family career clashes, uh, should not limit their decisions um, you know, at any particular time. Um, they should really take advantage of um, career opportunities that are offered to them in full. And um, the, the family commitments um, will sort themselves out. In other words, in other words uh, women often jeopardize their own ambitions by, being, um, by using excuses, by saying, I'm scared that I won't be able to do a particular task if one day I uh, you know, have another child. So it's around women, um, I think women controlling their own destiny. I don't think anyone's going to do it for them, uh, but women should not invent obstacles in their own minds. Um, 
you know, I really think we need to challenge our own obstacles often. Uh, an important example in my life was when, uh, when I was complaining to a friend of mine about lack of time to do particular tasks I needed to get done. And um, she asked me, what would you need in order to do, to do it? Uh, and my answer to her was I would need, um, you know, a quiet time. I'd need to go and sit somewhere that is not my office and is not my household uh, in order to get the work done. Uh, for example, uh, writing research papers. And what she said to me is, why can't you? And I realized she was completely right. There was nobody telling me I could not leave my office and go and work in a coffee shop. Um, it's unconventional, but it's uh, not incorrect. I was a fairly senior at the time. No one was... Um, um, you know, telling me in, in which location I needed to be. This was before the days of uh, everyone working remotely. Um, but the, the point is, is that I think often the obstacles are in our own minds and it's important to challenge uh, our own assumptions, uh, work out what we would need in order to pursue our goals. And once uh, we've worked that out, then you just need to, to make it happen, ask for it, etc. And oftentimes people won't say no. Um, the hurdle is often in our own minds rather than being an actual physical um, barrier. People want you to succeed. You just need to um, say what it is that you need. People will support you. That's such a fantastic piece of advice. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to Dr. Melinda Souchard, who is the head of the Center for Vaccines and Immunology in the National Institute for Communicable Disease and lectures in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at WomanityTalk. Dr. Sushad, looking at your profile really highlights your track record of achievement and commitment in the fields of science and medicine. The STEM subjects, so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, have often been cited as pivotal for jobs of the future. But various reports indicate that women have been underrepresented in these disciplines, and that therefore creates a gap and disadvantage to work job opportunities in the new world. Do you think in South Africa we're supportive enough towards female scientists? I think we are supportive enough and I think we're quite lucky to work in an environment that values um, inclusivity and diversity. Um, I don't think we can blame uh, any system, um, but I do think um, that that, you know, that we need to encourage uh, young women in, in these uh, STEM fields uh, more. But barriers are, um, are virtual, uh, are, what can I say? Barriers are um, perhaps in, in our own minds rather than uh, in reality. Certainly job opportunities are absolutely there for female graduates. Um, it's around just getting females to to have a passion and to pursue that passion and to believe that they um, absolutely can and that if they have two arms, two legs and a, and a brain, that they are as equally capable as anyone else in um, any, any job that they choose, whether it's being an astronaut or, uh, you know, whatever, the, the, you know, whatever it might be uh, that is their goal, there is no particular skill or attribute that someone else possesses that they don't have. 
Um, so they are quite as equally capable as anybody else. Uh, it's really around, the hard part is working out what one um, wants to do. Once, once you know what you want to do, the rest, the rest is just about taking one step at a time and working out how to get there. Do you find that the environment has changed dramatically from when you first started with regards to having equal access uh, to opportunities? Well, I'll tell you what has made a fantastic difference is um, the, the move to the world of the, the internet and virtual opportunities. So just for example, the access to um, data and the access to published work, uh, you know, it used to be that you'd have to belong to an excellent institution with a good library so that you could um, physically look up uh, in hard copy journals when you needed to find a reference and, and see what others had published. And these days, um, you know, the internet has completely flattened the, the playing field. You can be based in any country in the world in your, in your um, back garden. You don't need to really be at any particular institution. And um, with the move to open access publishing, you have access to the best journals in the world uh, and really equal access as anyone at any Ivy League institution. So, you know, that has made a fantastic difference in the world of um, research. And what we're seeing just this year, for example, is the ability to attend virtual conferences without needing to travel and work out the logistics of leaving the family at home while attending you know, international conferences. Um, you can now travel from the comfort of your home uh, and, and uh, again, you know, be at the, at the front edge and the forefront of um, research in, in any particular field you're interested in. So the world of the internet is completely revolutionizing the way we do science and breaking down barriers. Um, and we can only foresee that that trend is going to continue and um, improve. Um, open access is really going to change the, the, the way of science. Um, the, the problem now is, not, is, is, is over, uh, over information rather than um, lack of information. It's around how do we um, deal with, with all this information that's out there uh, rather than struggling to find it. Clay Shirky, uh, a while ago, I remember listening, I think, to one of his, his TEDx talks, he was saying that we've always had a, an overabundance of information, but potentially what we lack today is having more effective information filters. So that's something they haven't uh, computerized yet, right, is a mind to actually process the information. And I think the message is that... Um, if you have a brain, you can process the information just as well as anybody else. So, you know, science is not only about having um, the best toys, you know, the best, uh, the best um, big uh, equipment and um, expensive uh, new technology in order to do research. It's around having a mind to ask relevant questions. And that is best done by somebody in their local situation you know, if someone is working in a health institution, for example, they are aware of the particular health issues that affect their population. They are the ones who know what the questions are and what the important um, research topics are for that particular area. Um, and those, those questions and that seeking mind, that's what science is about. Uh, the big equipment and the big data sorting and the big toys, you know, that you can always um, collaborate to find. Um, but that inquiring mind who's going to bother to ask the question, to source and filter and um, collate uh, answers, um, to sift through what's um, you know, appropriate and what's, what's not relevant. Um, that comes from passion and heart and caring about one's topic. And that's not something that can be uh, replaced by, by the, the, the internet and the overabundance of, of information that's out there. That's something that needs 
um, you know, the heart and the heart to be uh, at the basis of the science. Yes, it's a critical skill. You've got to be able to ask the right questions to get the right answer. Hi, my name is Yvonne Chakachaka and I'm UNICEF and Rollback Malaria Goodwill Ambassador. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in the struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, a program against social ills such as racism, socio-economic class division and gender-based violence. Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amalia Malka every week on this day at this time. Today, we're talking to Dr. Melinda Souchard, who is the head of the Center for Vaccines and Immunology in the National Institute for Communicable Disease and lectures in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Dr. Sushad, we are in August, which in South Africa we celebrate as as an entire month of of celebrations, which pays tribute to the more than 20,000 women who marched to the Union buildings on the 9th of August in 1956 in protest against the past laws to women. This year's theme is titled Generation Equality, Realizing Women's Rights for an Equal Future. In your view, in the short term, what types of mechanisms do you think could be used to help reduce the inequalities that women experience? You know, in my field, um, in fact, there are often more women than men. So I work in the medical uh, diagnostics world. And what you often find um, in this environment is, in fact, uh, the the career path is chosen uh, more uh, by, by women applicants than by male applicants. Um, and I think having women examples uh, is very helpful uh, because a lot of um, what people learn, they learn through osmosis and through absorbance of culture rather than by anything that is taught to them or told to them verbally. So seeing women in leadership positions makes it very normal for those that follow them. Um, and that's something that I think is evolving with time. Uh, and still is less um, common in, in other disciplines. Uh, but I think um, we are heading in South Africa in the right trajectory. Uh, we need to role model uh, leaders so that for young women, it is not something unexpected or it's not something that is foreign to their, their DNA and their culture. Uh, they will just absorb it uh, through their everyday interactions with, with colleagues. Having said that, um, even though the laboratory diagnostic environment is um, more heavily populated by women, we often do see that there's a disproportional amount of male uh, leaders. And I think um, sometimes that that relates to um, personality types and and almost um, someone once described it to me as uh, a little bit biological, right? Often there's an alpha male who likes to be the leader of a pack and there's a whole lot of support to females who um, are quite happy to take the back seat and let him lead and don't want to challenge authority, don't want to um, step up and lead. Uh, and it's useful when someone points that out to you so that you can see it yourself, um, because then you start to interrogate it a little bit more as, as the status quo and whether it should really be there. Um, so the, the, yeah, so I think we, we do need to be aware of the fact of gender biases and gender stereotypes 
and to question it within our own DNA and within our own um, cultural assumptions of how our family hierarchies worked, um, because it does play out uh, in the workplace. And, um, you know, once we're alerted to it, it's much easier to sort of see it and uh, break it down and to challenge it where, where required. And for individuals to realize that um, they can step up and they're as qualified to lead as any other male who might be um, perhaps louder or bolder or, um, you know, more of an extrovert in, in their environment. So, um, yes, I think uh, number one is let's have women in leadership roles because that um, models it for the younger individuals coming. And number two is let's talk about it more so that um, women are aware of it and they are aware to challenge their own internal um, barriers and um, break, break through them and um, be very self-aware and self-critical of what they think is holding them back. Um, because often it's, 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 it's their own um, hurdles, it's their own barriers that, that is the real barrier rather than any actual um, workplace barrier. I think those are going to be some of my most important takeouts of today's conversation about the self-limitations that one puts upon herself and taking stock of old or pervasive social norms and realizing that actually this isn't necessarily the way that the world should continue to run. Exactly. Exactly. It's around um, giving women the confidence to know that they can um, do it, they can do leadership roles, and there's no need for them uh, to do so in a masculine way. They will find their own um, place and their own, their own type, and uh, if the opportunity knocks, they should um, step up. We're coming towards the latter part of the show, and in this section, I, I tend to ask guests more of a personal perspective. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you now is about your personal journey and factors for success. Many of our guests who've reached tremendous achievements in their lifetimes speak about discipline, focus, faith, and values. In your opinion, what have been some of the key drivers to your success? Yes, absolutely. All those things you mentioned are very important. I think having a good, um, what they call EQ rather than RQ is very important in a long-term career path. So having your, your head on your shoulders, being self-aware of your own um, strengths, limitations, um, uh, what you like, what you dislike, that's, that's an important starting point. Of course, knowing your own values, you know, um, your priorities in life, is that family, is that um, career opportunities, you know, where do those uh, rank and how are you going to um, juggle those? Those are all very important um, values that you need to have before, before you begin. Having said that, um, after that, what is very important is to take advice from everybody, to be very well-rounded and um, very well-researched in your career choices, because being, um, being forewarned is being forearmed, as they say. So don't go blindly into any particular career path. Know, um, know the space, speak to everyone, be bold and be brave and uh, find out everything you can about a particular field. Um, for me, uh, my role model was my father, who... Um, made me do a lot of inquiry about the STEM fields before I pursued a career in science. And um, in fact, was the reason I, I did a medical career first. I've always wanted to pursue a science um, career, but really from on a discussion with very many stakeholders, the advice was that um, medical 
medical degrees gave a very good um, basis for a science career. And therefore, I pursued that route, even though it was much longer and not always um, pleasant or not always um, aligned with my own um, passions as I went through. So it's to take a long-term view. It's about the long game, not the short game. Um, be well prepared, be well researched, um, don't cut corners. And um, if you know the end, if you have the end goal in mind, uh, it's much easier to work out the necessary steps to take to get there. Yes, I agree with you. Having the end goal in mind, that helps you plot the journey to reach it. Yes, and, you know, the end goal isn't always immediately apparent. I don't want to give that impression. Um, but I think what people know often from the time they are young is what they enjoy. Um, and it's important to follow that, right? That's the only clue you get. I often say you have to smell out your way. Um, you'll just get a little sense that you like one particular aspect more than a different aspect. And it's important to follow that aspect that is calling you. Um, I can't explain why it calls you or how we know what calls us, but everybody knows what calls them in a slight little way, uh, even though you don't know where it's heading. Um, and it's very important to be true to oneself, to follow that sense of what's calling you. But you don't need to do it in a blind fashion, right? You can do it um, being uh, well prepared uh, for what, you know, by speaking to people who have followed those paths before. It's about being bold and brave enough to um, speak to people, even if they're complete strangers, um, to say, hi, my name is so-and-so. Um, I'm interested in your particular field. Can you talk to me about it? Um, just be bold, just be brave, and people will support you. And lastly, as we close off today's discussion, please can you use this platform in celebration of Women's Day or Women's Month to share a message to girls and women that are listening to the show? Okay, I would like to quote Nkosi Johnson, who was an HIV activist who died at age 12. Um, and what he said that has um, always stuck with me is um, do the good that you can in the time that you have in the place that you are. And I think that is really a profound statement. Um, let's not always hope to be somewhere better and somewhere uh, different and with different advantages. Uh, let's do what we can with our own resources, where we are, um, when we are. Thanks for that great message. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Dr. Melinda Souchard, who is the head of the Center for Vaccines and Immunology in the National Institute for Communicable Disease and also lectures in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of the Witwatersrand. Rand.